middle school, uh, you guys are free to go. Well, according to a recent study um, from Lifeway Research, um, they polled uh, U.S. Protestant pastors, and they identified comfort at 67% uh, as an idol that has a significant impact on their congregations. That was a higher percentage than control and security and money or the approval of others. So check out this quote by the executive director of that organization, Lifeway, he said, it's easy to think that those in Christian churches have chosen their God and are faithful to him. However, pastors quickly acknowledge how divided their congregation's allegiances can be. These gods don't have a physical shrine, but they compete for the hearts of Christians. The dictionary defines comfort as a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. So this perception that pastors have of this comfort idolatry that they see in their congregations raises some serious concerns about what people think Christianity actually is. It's probably a topic that all of us need to revisit. So we're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 14 to start today. It's page 1489. <clears throat> Luke 14, starting in verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. You see, there's this natural tendency in us, I think, to want to tame Jesus. To make him more of a, a house cat. This domesticated animal that we can kind of pet and it's pretty low maintenance. When he describes himself as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Whose power should leave us with a little bit of awe. And maybe even a little sense of intimidation. So based on what we just read. What exactly is Jesus calling us to? What were some of the things that that he described 
has to exist for us to be his disciple. This is like an open book test. So just look at the notes. What's that? We have to consider the cost, right? Being a follower of his is not something we just dive into on an emotional whim, but it's something that we should really evaluate, right? I'm, I'm surrendering my life. I'm exchanging uh, one Lord, whatever that was for me in my life, myself primarily, and, and, and going to be a servant of his, surrendering control of my life to his leadership and his mastership over me. That's something that we could, should consider. <laughs> yeah, what else? Yeah. Okay, so what do you think he means by that, right? Because we all are dressed, thankfully, this morning, so we didn't give our clothes up, and we came in a car, we have a house. What do you think that means? Yeah, you. <laughs> Talk on it, the follow-up question. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it's about, yeah, giving our whole heart. Like, we have these things that, you know, he allows us to have in this world, um, but they shouldn't control us, right? They shouldn't occupy our mind and obsess over those things. And Amy's like, "Ah, you can breathe easy now, right? I'm done. Good, good job. Yeah, what else? He talks in the beginning about relationships, right? What's his point there? pretty strong words yes okay yeah that our earthly relationships can't take a a higher allegiance than our allegiance to Christ there are going to be times when we have to choose uh, who we're going to obey is it going to be Christ is it going to be our our parents at times okay do we love anything more than him? Um, and you re- remember how this little passage started off. It said large crowds were following Jesus. And so in this moment, Jesus is kind of sifting the crowd out. He's wondering who's just here for the next miracle or for the next you know, good moral teaching that I'm going to do. Or who is interested in laying down their life for me, like I will soon do for them? There's absolutely no language about comfort there, <laughs> a life of ease. And comfort itself isn't bad, okay? So remember, like when we were created, humanity was created, they were placed in a garden that was perfect and lush and everything was provided for us, okay? So it's not that comfort itself But when comfort becomes more important than loving God or loving others, then it becomes sin. Val Werner said this, the reality is we can't be obsessed with God's purposes and our own comforts at the same time. One will inevitably take priority. I've heard another quote say that like God's commands always come in direct conflict with our desire for comfort. It's another way to look at it. 
I don't want to frame this conversation about comfort in context of this journey that we've been on, right? We've been talking about what does it look like to love one another deeply and to love our neighbor as ourselves. What is the cost of discipleship when it comes to community? That's where we're going to hone in today. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul writes this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? What does a burdened person look like, sound like? Just quick, raise your hand, just some quick answers. What does a burdened person look like or sound like? Yeah. Ah, sometimes it's very hard to see, right? Because people can hide it, okay? What about those people that can't hide it? <laughs> or sometimes they think they're hiding it, right? Yeah. Okay, depressed, sad. What does that look like? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, verbalizing, they could sound hopeless. They can be, um, yeah, just overwhelmed and anxious and complaining possibly, yeah? <clears throat> Physically, what do, what do people that are burdened look like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So people that are just pushing, driving, so they don't have to stop to think about, right, the burdens maybe in their life, right? You can still see, see some people sometimes almost kind of just kind of slumped over, just kind of, you know, their face. A lot of times they're not sleeping. So just bags under their eyes, just... I mean, when you picture somebody that's really gone through some stuff, man, you can physically see it. Paul is commanding us to carry some of the weight that others are carrying, right? He's asking us to share the load. I was on the phone with um, a really good friend of mine uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, his marriage is just kind of crashing down around him. And as I was just on the phone, like I could just hear and just feel his pain like through and hold phones like this now it's like this I guess right <laughs> I can feel the pain in his voice and, and just the heaviness I mean just the breathing just so much anxiety coming through he sounded awful and I was asking myself how can I enter into this with him so that he doesn't feel alone what can I carry for him right now? That was like my driving concern. Notice Paul didn't say, fix each other's burdens. He didn't say, ignore each other's burdens. For years in my immature flesh, I would have gravitated towards one of those two options. I didn't really know how to carry the weight of other people's pain. So I hadn't really dealt with my own pain. 
I still had my own heavy burdens I was carrying around through life that left me kind of lacking uh, empathy and capacity to really love other people well and care for them. What I felt like I could do was either try to fix their problem, or if I couldn't do that, um, I'd probably view kindly ignoring them as my only other alternative. I might give them an old, I'll pray for you, and send them on their way. And that's about, those were the only two cards I had. <laughs> fix it or ignore it, right? And if I wanna be really honest with you guys, I would have gone on to say that it wasn't just my own woundedness as it was a hindrance to me being able to carry the burdens of others, but it was often my selfish desire for comfort. When I considered the weight of stepping into somebody else's pain, I counted the cost, emotionally, mentally, maybe money, time, and simply didn't want to be that inconvenienced. I liked it when life was predictable and kind of went the way I wanted it to so that I could get to do the things that I wanted to do when I wanted to do them. But this world is broken and people's sins will cause disruption in our lives. There's no making this path of burden bearing a cost-free experience. And this idol of comfort the problem is, is that the world doesn't see the pursuit of comfort as a sin. In fact, it like puts it up on a pedestal, right? You hear the commercials like Harley Davidson, you know, go buy that thing. You know, you've earned it. You deserve it, right? But as usual, following Christ raises the standard of what it means to love one another deeply. So I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. It's page 1740. 1 John 3, page 1740, starting in verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see, carrying each other's burdens implies action on our part. A tangible entering in and yoking ourselves to the weight of the challenges of the other, right? Y'all know what a yoke is, like that wooden thing they put on top of oxen, right? Yoking ourselves in there with them, not standing by on the sideline while they're yoked and struggling and saying, man, what can I do for you? <laughs> it's getting in there with them. James says it like this in James 2, 14 through 17, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, 
if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We've talked before about the difference between the sins of commission and sins of omission. Okay, sins of commission are things you are doing that you shouldn't be. Sins of omission are things we ought to be doing, but we're not. Okay? Needs we see in others, opportunities to enter in and to care for people that we ignore. And again, James challenges our inaction. And later on in, in James in 4.17, he says, anyone who sees the good they ought to be doing but doesn't do it, sins. Anyone who sees the good they ought to be doing and doesn't do it, sins. The person who seeks to remain in their comfortable bubble simply orchestrates their life in a way to remain blissfully ignorant of the needs of others. It's very easy to do. Practically, that might look like coming in here on Sunday morning and sitting in your usual seat around your usual group of people, right? Making no extra effort to engage someone new sharing little about yourself and inquiring little about those around you. That way you can slink out every week with no extra responsibility to carry around. It's a pretty enticing prospect. But let me ask you this. What has idolizing comfort cost you and others? What has idolizing comfort cost you and others? The floor is yours. Yes, Will. A story worth telling, okay, of a life you entered in and maybe how uh, God used you, right, in a situation or how they felt cared for by you entering in, okay? So, yeah, a story to be shared. That's awesome. What else? What does idolizing comfort cost you or others? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He said, when I don't engage, I don't get to see God's goodness and redeeming whatever's going on in that person's life. I miss the blessing that I could have been a part of. Right? Somebody else? Yeah, Randy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were, yeah, you were in this cycle of numbing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and when we're numbing our way through life, it's very hard to be aware of what's going on around us, right? We're very self-focused. Yeah. Welcoming his kingdom. 
walking in his kingdom. Yeah, bringing those things that he wants to bring to the here and now, right? Yeah, because we're his vessels, right? And we're his ambassadors. He's making his appeal to the world through us. And so when we don't give him that opportunity, we're maybe, you know, not bringing a piece of, of the kingdom that he would love to, to pour out. Okay, good job. You guys, great answers today. I think it's important that we just remember that, 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 that our idolizing comfort does cost. There is a cost to that. It's not just an individual decision that we make and we think, well, that doesn't really impact anybody else. No, yes, it does. Absolutely. In terms of how it looks on Sunday morning, if we're unwilling to enter in, get to know, get to know people's stories, share life with one another, it means that people could be walking out of our service just as burdened as they walked in. And that's a tragedy. There should be a lightness that we experience. And part of that's on us. We've got to be willing to let people know, right? The early church began to wrestle with what does it mean to, to carry their cross, to lay down in the context of a new community of believers in Jesus. So I want you to turn to the book of Acts, page 1555, Acts chapter 4. Acts 4, verse 32. <clears throat> verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That's radical, isn't it? God, there's something, I don't know what you feel when you read that. But for me, it's just like so compelling. It's so different than how most Americans live, right? We're so individualistic and isolated, siloed in our country. We see stuff as mine not ours. We have a spirit that withholds possessions, time, energy, care, emotions, and we label it as security or stability. But in truth, it's wrapped in the idol of comfort. The second part of Galatians 2 is the critical key to this equation. I'm going to show that slide again. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, which law of Christ is Paul referring to? So a lot of commentators that I read this week pointed 
me back to the command Jesus gave his disciples in John 13, verses 34 and 35. It said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, how did Jesus love us? And in the context of this conversation this morning, one of the ways that he loved us is what Rob was mentioning over here in Matthew chapter 11, that famous passage we've all heard where Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, right? And learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to come and get unburdened by him, right? As brothers and sisters called to carry the burdens of one another, we not only step in and we share the load, but we also point our friend to Jesus who carries it with us. We are not alone in the burden-carrying business, but we carry each other's burdens because that's how Jesus loved us, by carrying ours to the cross. And we have to remember who our Savior was. Scripture says the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, no place to call home. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Yet in all of his challenges and discomfort, our King came not to be served, not to seek comfort, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And scripture says that his suffering brought many sons and daughters to glory. And here's what we need to remember, guys. Remember this. We were all once the burdened ones. So if you, you know, in your mind have this person who you think, oh man, they're kind of a burden. <laughs> Always something with these people. Guys, every one of us was that person. We were all once the burdened ones. Burdened by a sin condition that we could do nothing to eradicate in our own strength and ability. We were all enemies of God, deserving of wrath. But instead, our beautiful Savior came along and entered into our story and came over and took our guilt, our sin, our shame, that burden we were carrying around and took it off of our shoulders and put it onto his and dragged it up to the cross and died for it. We have to get in touch with that uncomfortable truth so that the comfort we seek in this world can be put in proper perspective. We were saved by a very uncomfortable Jesus who was uncomfortable because of us. And he asked us to be uncomfortable for others. 
so that they might feel the same freedom and unburdenedness that we feel now. So what's the true, so what's true about us as a result of our salvation? What's true about us as a result of our salvation? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. He puts it like this in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are not our own. It's not ours to decide how we spend our days. We are his. We belong to him and we belong to this body of believers. And Christ lives in us. And as his servants, his command to us is to love one another and to carry each other's burdens. And because he lives in us, he's provided us with all the resources that we need to do that for other folks, to love people beyond what we feel like we're capable of and beyond what feels comfortable to us. In our hearts and minds, many of us think, I don't have the strength to carry the weight of somebody else's pain. How can I bear that burden when I have my own issues? And we've all been there. And I would say that you can do it in at least a couple ways. One is because our Savior tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, when we feel like we are weakest, that's when God is strong. He just wants us to be willing, to be humble, to be honest about our shortcomings and our need for his help in walking with our friends when it feels like it's beyond our strength. Right? It's when we come to him and, and we say, Lord, I know you've asked me to carry so-and-so's burden. I don't feel like I have the energy. I need your help. I need you to enter in. Guys, if he commands us to carry other people's burdens, don't you think he's obligated to give us the power and the ability to do it? It'd be cruel for him to tell us to do something he's not given us the resources to do, right? So we can't look at what we feel like we have. We have to look at God and what he has, what he can offer us in those times. So that's one way. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Secondly, he calls us to do it in community. When people approach me with a burden that I know is going to be more than I can handle by myself, the first thing I say to that friend is, hey, we're going to need to invite a few more people into this. Are there two or three other people that you feel safe enough that we can share this with that can kind of be on a care team with me to walk with you through this time? 
because I want to be there for you, but I, man, I, this, is, this is a big one, and I'm going to need some help. And it's not only kind of a manpower issue. Honestly, guys, the bigger issue to me sometimes is that I need the gifts of the other people in the circle. You know, it's kind of like having a, a tool, you know, a tool belt, a toolbox, you know what I mean? It's like we need somebody who's more of a hammer person. <laughs> you know, we need somebody that's more of a screwdriver person, a plier person, whatever. Like we need all the gifts in the circle because if you're just counting on Bob and his ability, like I got a couple tricks, you know, when it comes to caring for people, but I need somebody else who's whatever, more compassionate, more tender-hearted. We need that balance of grace and truth as we walk through things with folks. And we also need, we need people because it kind of has to be a tag team effort. <laughs> you know, there's times when it's like, man, I can run hard with you for a couple days and then it's life, my own life gets busy and then I got to, you know, my buddy's going to come in and maybe take a couple days and um, we're going to piece it together and be there for you. But honestly, like, and maybe you guys have experienced this, so there's some things that folks bring, burdens that I've kind of yoked myself to that are years of walking with that person. Depending on the severity of the trauma that they've experienced, it could be years of bearing that burden. And it's going to take some folks <laughs> to pull that off. And I love the way that our church community is displaying that in the Mind of Christ class, in the foster and adopt support group stuff. You know, there's ways that we're entering in in community for the long haul to help people. We'll never make it on our own. We need Jesus, and we need our friends to help carry each other through the battlefield of life sometimes. Unlike the early church in Acts 4, our, our church, our community of faith here is called to be different. Guys, what we just read in Acts 4, that was different. <laughs> Who goes and sells all their stuff and brings it to another group of people and entrust them with it to disperse it to people that they don't even know like that's radical we are called to care for one another deeply as the church at wellspring to willingly carry each other's burdens and to bring our friends to the feet of jesus to be healed and transformed and many of you guys mentioned this earlier in that process we ourselves we'll catch a glimpse of the redemptive story again. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever's going on out there. <laughs> Our faith will be renewed. Right as we step in and we watch God do something powerful. I can't tell you how many times, guys, I've entered into stories and kind of tried to walk through somebody's burden with them. And I just thought, I thought, ooh, man, God, you're going to have to show up. <laughs> Or this thing is not going to go well. And, and I've been blown away by the power of God's grace and the communal effort and all of us coming to the table and surrounding them and carrying them in times when they feel like they couldn't walk anymore on their own and seeing what God has done. And it has renewed my faith in Christ and what I would have missed out on if I hadn't said yes to step into that. Our joy will abound as we engage and we see how God uses our meager abilities to help bring life to others. And in the end, guys, the hope is that our love can cover over 
those burdens people are carrying, that God would use us to lighten that load. And so, guys, I want to challenge you. It means that when we come here on Sunday morning, there's a posture that has to come. There's a posture of humility sometimes when we know that we're burdened that has to come and be vulnerable enough to seek out the friend in here who we sense would, would be in it with us and, and, and unload it. Give them the opportunity to serve. As recipients, we need to come in here every week. Guys, that's why coming here is so important. You can't bury people's burdens when you're sitting at home watching this on TV or computers or whatever. Right? So many of the things we're talking about in terms of how to love people well, you can't do unless you're there. You got to be around. You got to come in every Sunday morning never knowing, is this the week when somebody's really going to need me? And the fact that I came in with a, a, an open spirit, a welcoming, hospitable posture made it, made it safe for them to say, hey, maybe, maybe Bob will be there for me in this. We got to be willing to take it on. We got to be willing to know that we're not going to be the one that's going to fix them. It's going to be Jesus. And we got to be willing to understand that we got to we got to surround them in community. We can't we can't walk with them alone. We need to bring in some other people sometimes to help. What a tremendous opportunity that we have, right? Because at one point or another, we were all the ones with the burden, and Jesus gladly. Right For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father because he knew what it was going to mean for us to have that burden lifted off of our shoulders. The life, the joy that it was going to bring to us. What an opportunity we have to do that for other people. Guys, as we come to the communion table today, this is a very tangible message right, of remembering what happened on the cross, what transpired. Our burden, a weight that was way more than we could ever deal with, was lifted from us forever, forever. Guys, we are the hopeful ones in this world. We are the light ones, right? Because our burden is light, it gives us the opportunity to step into the yoke. So many, so many people in this world are so burdened themselves and don't have Jesus that they don't have the strength, literally, to be yoked with somebody else. They got nothing to give. We have the Savior of the world to give, <laughs> and his power is in us. What an opportunity that we have. So, guys, as we come, I want you to be thinking about how much of an idle comfort is to me. Is that something I need to die to? How does that keep me from being able to carry one another's burdens? Is there a burden that I need to unload on Jesus and on somebody else and invite some folks into? That's why we're here. That's the purpose of this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come to your table and be reminded of your commitment to us. God, this was an all-in thing. You gave everything you had everything. It cost you everything to redeem us. God, we as your followers have to walk as you walked. 
we can't be clinging to the things of this world in ways that keep us from loving you and loving other people well. So God, please just start pulling the grip of our fingers one finger at a time off of those things in life that we are idolizing, that we are turning to that aren't you, that keep us from being people who can have open hands and open arms to throw around and over our brothers and sisters who are hurting. God, your, your call is costly, but it's also one filled with tremendous joy, tremendous opportunity to see an unbelievable story play out. God, I just pray that we don't miss that. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. We just give you this time as we pray.